0: Hello. Good evening. Welcome to Tina's podcast. Tonight, I have a special guest. I say that about all my guests, I guess because they're all so special to me. But Sarah Yurkovich is a former student of mine and a very successful interpreter. And just so happened that when I retired last year, Sarah was the one that I was so happy that she was chosen to fill the spot that I had had. So Sarah, I want to welcome you here tonight, and I thank you so much for coming to this podcast. Thank you so much
1: for having me, Tina. Well, I'm
0: excited excited for you to be here, and I'm excited for everybody to hear how successful you are. And the whole point of this is for you to help me and to help all of those who are either about to graduate or who just recently graduate. How the heck do we get into this field called interpreting? Now, I know, Sarah, when you were a student um, uh, at Columbus State, you uh, were very active, very active in the field. I mean, wherever there was a deaf person, it seemed like Sarah was there. And I'm sure that's the secret to most of your success. But can you kind of let's take us back a little bit to when and where did you graduate?
1: Sure. So I graduated from Columbus State's interpreting program in 2013. And then later on, I went back to school at William Woods University and got a bachelor's of science in interpretation studies in asl and english uh in i graduated in 2019 wow and oh and news for you tina i just got accepted into graduate school (laughs) for another uh, interpreting degree for teaching interpreting from western oregon university
0: awesome congratulations thank you sarah is an awesome instructor um she and i co-taught together and, um, just excellent with the students. I think you have a great rapport with the students and I think you connect very well. So that's going to be even a bigger feather in your cap, Sarah. Congratulations. Good for you. So tell me, I want to know what caused you or what enticed you to want to become an interpreter.
1: That's a great question. Um, I had taken ASL in high school, so I had a familiarity with the language, um, and I was lucky to have a wonderful teacher who took us to volunteer at Columbus Colony mm-hmm. when I was a high school student. And so I got to meet you know some older deaf folks when I was a, a high school student. Um, and then I went to work in another field and really with kind of the economic crash in 2008 and 2009, I got laid off and I wasn't sure what to do with my life. So I went back to school at Columbus state and started taking ASL classes and realized that that's what I wanted to do. Um, and as soon as I started taking interpreting classes, I knew it was definitely what I wanted to do. I liked the variety, I liked the challenge. I liked the people I was meeting that were interpreters um, So I decided that that's what I wanted to do.
0: So in high school you you started in a high school program. Was there ever a time in your life where you had friends that were deaf or you had kid other you know classmates that were deaf?
1: Yes. My mom tells me the story of going when I was apparently when I was like three and four, that my best friend at preschool was deaf. Wow. Um, which I don't recall myself, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of my friends in high school had deaf parents. Um, and so we took ASL together and hung out with her parents. And um, yeah, so I, I, you know, I've other deaf people in my community. I took a community ASL class before I even took wow. ASL, um, ASL in high school from a deaf woman, um, So, yeah.
0: Good. Wow. So, you graduated, you said, in 2013. So, where did that graduation lead you to? What did you, um, did you have any jobs right away? And so, what did you do right after you graduated?
1: Well, I did keep my other job for a bit um, after becoming an interpreter just to kind of gain my footing, but I did uh, a lot of networking towards the end of my schooling and met a lot of folks that ran different agencies or did independent contracting as interpreters. Uh, So when I graduated, I had some interviews lined up. Mm. I pretty much immediately started contracting for Deaf Services Center. Um, Shortly after that, holland and Associates as well, Mm. uh, Interpreting Plus. And I got hired at Sorenson doing video relay service interpreting as well. Wow. So that that all happened pretty quickly in that first summer after I graduated.
0: Well that's that's quite an accomplishment for somebody who just recently graduated. So you just said it that you already it sounds like to me before you graduated or even during the last semester, you were preparing yourself to go out into the field. Because I've you know both I think you and I have heard students say, you know, the day they graduate, it's like, okay, now what? So um, right. are you and uh, is the program preparing them to go out and, and what kind of things are you encouraging them to do during their last semester?
1: Sure. Um, it's been really tough with COVID mm-hmm. these last, you know, this last year and a half, yeah. quite honestly, with our graduate I feel really badly for them. Um, a lot of it is that we're trying, I know with me, at least one of my interpreting classes, advanced interpreting we've tried to invite um, folks that run different employment uh, options for interpreters to come be guest speakers in our classes Mm -hmm. um, because we can't have kind of a traditional job fair like we've had in the past um, or go out to visit these places very easily so inviting folks to come in and talk about their workplace and what their expectations are for interpreters which and let our students ask questions and kind of make their first impressions on these hiring managers um, so trying to do that, trying to encourage people to volunteer still where they're able to um, and make connections in that way. Um, and, of course, certainly treating their internships like they are job interviews right. uh, and hope that they get hired by those folks as well.
0: Exactly. The whole volunteering aspect has really challenged, been challenged by COVID, uh, yeah. getting out, awful. And, you know, in that, er- in that area of Columbus Those students are pretty darn lucky. I mean, there's a lot of places where they could go. But just unfortunately, with the Senior Citizen Center and all that, that's been closed down and just really challenging for students. What are they doing instead? Some of them are
1: volunteering in administrative capacities for nonprofits um, and organizations that are serving the deaf community, um, like DeWave. Uh, I know several of our students are volunteering with them and doing kind of administrative office things for them that mm-hmm. I believe that they're even completing from home most of the time. Yeah. Um, which it's sad because they're not getting the same level of interaction that they would get from going into the office and visiting with everybody. But I think they're still getting some of that and at least some of that over zoom as well. Um, mm. You know, but it's tough. Uh, occasionally there'll be an event that does want our students to volunteer, which is wonderful. Um but, you know, some of our students aren't able physically, you know, or regarding their own health, aren't have able to go to those events, or um, they're trying to keep a limited number of people at an event. So it has been really challenging, for sure.
0: Yeah. I kind of feel like, though, the the way of teaching that we're doing now from video, uh, video kind of prepares them a little better for VRS interpreting.
1: Absolutely. I've told our students that. I said, <laughs> you've got a real leg up when it comes to interpreting in 2D. Oh, my
0: because gosh, Yeah. For,
1: you know, my whole class, and I'm sure everyone who came before us, uh, we were thrown off by interpreting videos. Exactly. Because we were so used to having that 3D aspect. I mean, these students are pros, which yeah. I, I think it will benefit them in the long run.
0: Well, I, I, sure. I believe that, too. I think, you know, see, I mean, all the VRS agencies are really, you know, shooting up their hiring and trying to get more people hired into those fields. And so I believe and you know, I even I've even said that to students, like, I struggled teaching my first video, you know, class and they're like, you know, what's the big deal? And I'm like, I'm really struggling with this. You know, I I don't know how we should look when we're teaming. I, I don't know what it looks like. And you know, we would bring in guest well, we would, sometimes we'd have interpreters in our class because I co-taught with uh, one of the other instructors who is deaf. And so we would have interpreters in the class. And I have to be honest with you, I was learning from them just as much as the students. And they were doing such a beautiful, effective job. And it was just like, okay, look, this has happened naturally. These two interpreters are working in this class. Let's just watch them because, you know, they were doing an awesome job and I I struggled with that at first because I, I want that real person right beside me and it's just that that's just not how it is so yeah, yeah. it's
1: definitely a whole new world of teaming you know for all of us working remotely mm-hmm. and for our students learning that way for sure you know we've yeah. had to kind of fumble and figure out best practices as we go because they didn't exist
0: exactly before. Yeah. yeah do you think that has a
1: yeah, I think definitely, because most of the time, unless you're using the chat, the private yeah. chat function of Zoom or some other third-party chat thing, it's really transparent to our consumers yes. what's happening. Oh,
0: and, um, and I like
1: transparency. I'm all about transparency, so it doesn't bother me, but I think it throws off some of our students or some of our newer interpreters in our field mm-hmm. um, when they're receiving a feed from another interpreter. And everybody can see that that's happening or exactly. hear that that's happening. Mm-hmm. I think it can be intimidating. Yeah. Um, and so I've been trying to kind of reinforce for our students and our practicum students and everything that whatever it takes to make effective work product is worth doing, you know, even if it is a minor moment of embarrassment for us to be, yeah. you know, to have everybody see that we need help. Um, but it definitely is uh, a lot more obvious when we're relying on one another Mm -hmm. than it ever has been I think because we can't just lean over and elbow somebody and whisper or whatever it might be
0: well it definitely feels much more intrusive you know Mm -hmm. when I'm feeding another interpreter it just it just doesn't feel smooth and you know, it's like I have to like call out your mistake or call out my mistake because you have to speak over me. And so it feels a little more intrusive. But I think eventually it will get to the point where, OK, we we're used to this. I think a really good tip I picked up one time, um, I, um, the interpreters were working and it was like trying to figure out how to get switching going. And they, they had sticky, sticky pad thingies they held them up mm-hmm. and it was like oh okay so that you know they held up like okay. a yellow one it was like this, so the, it was visually obvious to the other interpreters time to switch and i thought oh my gosh okay. so, how simple was that you know and i think those are the things we're going to eventually find out that you know it's not as challenging it's just that it's different and yeah sometimes that's just hard to get used to so okay yeah, so i
1: mean oh, go, ahead. No, go go ahead, ahead. please I was just going to say I've noticed a really big difference to working virtually like that with folks that I already know and trust that have worked with elsewhere mm-hmm. and folks that I don't have that relationship with because, you know, if you and I were teaming on zoom and you unmuted to talk over me, I would trust that you knew exactly what you right. needed to do and that you were doing, you know, you're doing it to help me. But if I don't know that you, the other interpreter has the skill to do that, well or if i don't trust that they have my best interest at heart or whatever it might be then it can feel really different Mm -hmm. you know so i think we're all adjusting
0: do you think that it's just going to even let's just say covid just like done today which would be awesome do you think people are going to stick with this platform of communicating with each other via zoom and this and that you think it's just going to become a a way of uh, the future in the employment field
1: Yeah, I do. I I, I think we'll we'll go back to a lot more in-person stuff than we have presently. But I think a lot of stuff's going to stay online. And, you know, a lot of workplaces have sent their people to be remote and are not going to recall them. You know, Mm -hmm. my husband, for one, he's had his job for several years and they sent everybody home temporarily. Mm
0: -hmm. And now
1: it's permanent. He doesn't ever have to go back to the office. And I'm sure there's plenty of other people like that. Um, You know, deaf people working in these positions where now they're going to be Calling into every Zoom, calling into Mm -hmm. every Teams meeting, whatever, and they're going to need interpreters, you know
0: kind of forced the colleges into that as well because you know how many times I know the colleges really liked these, you know, where students can do these online courses and I think people were just afraid to it and this kind of just pushed us into it and it's like, oh, well, that may not have been so bad after. all kind of wish we would have done that I think people are finding that out in many fields. I know, I think all of my kids but my one daughter because she works at a bank but the rest of them are all working from home and there's no no expectation of them going back into the, the brick and mortar at all yeah, interesting yeah wild. a lot changed very quickly. sure did yeah yeah we sure did so you're certified am i correct yes and
1: yes,
0: when did that happen
1: that was in 2015. okay so you graduated in 2013
0: in 2015 you became certified
1: i did how yeah. did
0: you do that
1: Wow, well, they were putting a moratorium on the test. Mm. Um, they announced it, RID announced in the summer of 2015 that they were uh, going to pause the test for an unknown period of time. So I went ahead and signed up for it, not having any idea whether or not I'd pass it, um, but wanting to get in there before they put it on moratorium for a year or two. Mm-hmm. And so I took it in November of 2015 and passed. Wow. So, I think my kind of attitude of, well, this is either a very expensive practice test (laughs) or I'll pass. Uh, Uh My attitude kind of let me be a little more calm about it than I would
0: have been otherwise. So we can say typically a student who's just graduated in two years, um, you know, taking that test probably was a pretty uh, uh, overwhelming feeling to begin with. But I don't think that is typical for a student who has already been graduated two years to become certified. Now, I'm not saying it wouldn't happen, because obviously it did. But most students or most recent graduates would not try. And you sound like you were kind of forced into it. But let me just say, Sarah, you had to have the skill to get that certification. So tell me how Thank you... Thank uh, Absolutely. And how did you prepare yourself um, with, to prepare your skills. Obviously you were doing a lot of, you know, stuff in the field and you got hired into some pretty nice positions there. So tell me how you, how your skills got to be so good. Practice, practice, practice. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, even as a student, I was always practicing outside of class. I knew that I wanted to be really good at this work. And so, um, Even once I was out working in the community as an interpreter, I was still practicing with videos at my house. I was still asking colleagues of mine to watch them and give me Mm. feedback because I knew I wanted to be good at this. Mm. Um, So I would say for that test, I mean, I did have the practice DVD uh, for the test, and I tried to practice it in a way that was true to how the real test was set up, at least at that time, um, by timing myself and filming myself and not pausing it or anything. Really, I think the part that I focused most on with practice was the, at that time, there were questions that were ethical questions um, Mm -hmm. at the beginning that you needed to answer in ASL, and that was the part I was worried about most, I think, was considering the situations and responding in ASL in ways that made sense and followed ASL grammar norms, Mm -hmm. and so that was what I practiced a lot of myself. I did a lot of filming myself responding to questions. Um, But now my understanding is that those questions have been moved to the written test. Mm -hmm. Um, So some of that is no longer kind of in play. But I think just getting to the point where that interpreting is is fairly routinized, you know, where mm -hmm. you're not having to overthink every little decision because you've practiced um, and you've spent enough time in conversation and using ASL as a primary language that you can form full sentences without having to think about it mm-hmm. you know
0: it sounds like you just put yourself out there like to just ask mm-hmm. people to watch my work you know just to keep doing keep doing it you know, um, that just kind of put yourself out there and I think it really paid off for you I really do
1: yeah I agree and I'm, I'm very lucky to have lovely colleagues and friends who I are not just friendly and my friends, but are fantastic interpreters Mm -hmm. um, that I can look up to and that I can go to for feedback and Mm -hmm. ask those kinds of questions.
0: Having a good support, a good support system is extremely important and, and not just waiting until you're about to graduate, but start formulating those as you're going through the program. I I know it was, it's just too easy sometimes to say, you know, next semester, next semester. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know next semester before next semester usually ends up being graduation and you're like, Whoa, how did I get here? I'm not ready. Uh, you know, and at that point, you know, it's time to have a lot of that foundation built. And so that's awesome. Now you currently are teaching, as I already said, at, at Columbus state. So how's that going for you? Good. Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: COVID happened my second semester there as a full-time instructor. <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, it was a wild, it's been a wild ride, I would say. Yeah. Um, but overall, it's going pretty well. You know, uh, I've gotten used to teaching online quite yeah. a bit. Um, it's been really nice to have so much of my time available to be focused on teaching and coming up with lesson plans and meeting with students and things like that. You know, um, previously, I was an adjunct and I had very little time outside of class to do some of those things. So it's been really nice.
0: Good. I have one more question for you. So tell me, is there one thing that you say, Oh, I wish I would have done that differently.
1: I'm going to say that I wish that I had gotten involved in volunteering in the deaf community and not just volunteering, but also just like attending events, going Mm -hmm. to social things earlier. Um, I think that was, something I certainly got into but I I felt like I had to wait until I had a certain amount of language competence Mm -hmm. in ASL Uh, Then it took me a really long time to feel like I had that Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: I wish that I had taken advantage more of opportunities that were available to me when my language was still not really up to snuff because Mm -hmm. I now know looking back that I would have still been welcomed I would have still had useful things to do in those situations um, and I think I was nervous about not being fluent in ASL and it held me back from a lot of opportunities, um, that I could have taken. And I, that's, you know, something I try to pass on to my students. I try to tell them like, even if you're an ASL one, you're in ASL two, go to some social things, volunteer at something. They'll put you you know, you can stand at the door and stamp people's hands. You don't have to be doing something really complex that you can't actually communicate about in ASL yet to be you know, in the community, around folks actually picking up ASL in its natural habitat instead of in a classroom.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I
1: wish I had done that more. And
0: I can imagine that that ha- would have to be nerve wracking as a, as a coda. You know, it's like, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, you know, you don't know that culture yet. You're, you're, and and that's why you do it so that you become familiar with it. You know, we know deaf people. It's like, you know, gosh, if they're going to come in and ask me my name and my favorite color, what's my hobby, and what's my parent's name and their birthday, you know, they're like, right. oh, not that right. again. But you know, I think uh, when a deaf person knows you and and your face was probably very familiar to a lot of the deaf community um you've got an in you've got trust and 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 Mm it sounds like that's what you developed was that trust between yourself and the community and that's very and we know how important that trust that trust is Mm -hmm. and i think that one i want to ask you is there anything else that you would like to tell um a student who's about to graduate. Is there anything else that we left out that you think, ah, I really want them to know this.
1: <clears throat> I probably am going to sound a little bit like a broken record, especially if any of my students listen to this, but the time you put into interpreting is what you're going to get out of it. Okay. Like you can't just go to class and just go to your interpreting jobs or just go to your interpreting internship. You have to make a conscientious practice uh, effort. To continue improving and I truly believe that
0: and I think that's that's spot on absolutely Sarah thank you so much I appreciate you coming and taking the time to uh, share your thoughts and your successes it's so good to see you be so successful I it's just it, it, it thrills me to see it and I'm so excited for you and I know our students and I say our students because that's of course where I retired from our students are much even better off with you being there. And I think it's nice to have somebody who has been so successful to show them that, look, not easy, absolutely not easy, but very doable. And and I think you are the epitome of the doable. So I appreciate you coming or calling me and and giving us all this advice. And it's good to hear your voice. And I wish you um, even much more success. Thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. And I just hope that you've learned something tonight From uh, Sarah, and I know I have. She's taught me a lot, and I've been in this field a lot longer than she has, and I learned a lot from her, probably more than she did from me. Sarah, thank you so much, and thank you to our listening audience.